Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by John Quinn. So John has over 30 years experience in elite sport with a vast range of different experiences through a whole load of different sports. And while working in Australian football, he saw a need for talent identification and managed to get himself some funding to bring on some students to look at visual search and how they can identify talent using visual search patterns. So who better today to discuss how you can improve your visual search skills and therefore your sporting performance? So without further ado, it's time to welcome John onto the show. So John, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, thanks, Matt. It's nice to uh, be on here and thanks for the invitation. Oh, thank you very much for joining us. So can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Well, I'm a high-performance coach. I'm based in Sydney in Australia and uh, I've been coaching now for 40 years. My background really is a track and field coach, but I've been involved with professional sport here in Australia, mainly with Australian football. Um, but I also have done some work with rugby league and I've done work with our national soccer team, the Socceroos, and I've been overseas with cricket. I travelled uh, to India for, for a time as part of the Indian Cricket League. So I've had lots to do with lots of different sports, but for me, everything comes back to uh, speed of movement and, uh, and my sprinters. I, I love my, my uh, sprinting and track and field is my passion. Absolutely awesome. And in terms of uh, research, you're, you're leading some research at the moment as well. Can you take us through that? Yes, well, my, my degrees have been, I'm an exercise physiologist by my qualifications at university, but uh, in working in Australian football, I uh, could see there was a need uh, for talent identification and uh, subsequently got funding and I brought in not one but two students to look at visual search and could we identify talent uh, by visual search patterns. And as a consequence of that or as a result of that, we've got so much data now looking at young kids coming up and from uh, elite performers in Australian football down. And uh, it's been quite a fascinating process and uh, we've been doing it, well, with two students effectively, we've got eight years of research now in, uh, in this area, which is quite a fledgling area, but an exciting one. I think it's a new frontier in sport. And when, when we look into to delve into that a little bit, what, what do you mean by visual cues and decision making, right? So what does that actually mean to the, to the athlete and the coach? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, uh, decision making is pretty much when you uh, make a correct choice. It's, it's just like in, in life, you know, you, you, do you make a choice to cross the road when there's not a truck bearing down on you? That's the correct <laughs> But with, with decision making in sport, you look at the options that you've got in front of you, do you uh, kick the ball, for example, to target A or target B? And that's going to depend on the environment around you. Is someone closing in on you from the left? That might uh, influence your choice of where you're going to, to do that. And the quicker you can make that decision, the more time you've got, the better decision maker that you're going to be. So, you know, that's probably the best way I can put in, in decision making. And what we were looking at is that something that is innate or is that something that you have to learn so we were looking at at decision making from that uh, that sort of perspective i guess and visual cues when we're talking about what happens there that's literally just what you see and then how you perceive that information not only what you see but uh, uh how that's going to impact on that decision that you're going to make like is that moving 
uh, is there uh, a, a number of things going on around it? And that could be something as significant as, as a whole team moving in a certain pattern. It might just be a body movement. A person might just move their shoulder or might just uh, lift their elbow a fraction to proceed their, their movement or change of direction. So your ability to pick that up, uh, you can intercept that movement pattern, if you like, that's going to make you more effective in your role as, say, a defender. So the, the overall goal then is to, to see things which might be really small cues earlier, make the decision potentially earlier, and that will help you to make the correct decision and will give you more time to, to process your actions. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like your ability to be able to um, pick up those cues and, and focus on where they're coming from and to be able to do that quickly. The quicker you can... Uh, fixate on those then uh, then that's going to make you a superior uh superior athlete and when you when you take your track and field career into into perspective as well obviously that's a really physical pure quality do you think that in sports like uh football soccer for example mm. these uh, visual and decision making aspects are overlooked in favor of that physical side or is it something that's I, trained simultaneously and just maybe yeah. underappreciated Look, I think, and I've probably looked at it more over the last decade, that we tend to um, be showing, uh, telling athletes what to do, and yet most of the athletes that you're working with, they're visual creatures. We are visual creatures, and uh, most of the data and the information you're you're making an assessment on is coming through your visual acuity or your ability to take in that that information. Yet we tend to treat everybody from an auditory or from what they hear perspective. In the world that I've lived in most, it's an auditory sport. On your mark, set, bang. No one's showing you when to go. So, But when you move into a sport like football, then you have got, it's really more visual cues that you've got. So from a coaching perspective, much better to be able to uh, show the athletes what they have to do and where they've got to move rather than tell them. They will retain the information better, in my opinion, and it's going to be a far more effective coaching, teaching strategy. Absolutely excellent. So when we get onto that that coaching and teaching, how do we look at training these skills? Because it sounds brilliant, right? Like, obviously, everyone wants to be a superior player. Maybe they don't have to move as much if they make better decisions. So Mm. how do you start training this decision-making? Well, we believe just from the studies that we've done, and you've got to understand that there hasn't been a great deal of research done in this area. You know, it goes back probably about 20 years, but we've been building it. And as technology has got better, we're able to measure measure how this goes. And it's probably worthwhile even spending a little bit of time on how do we measure this. And they're effectively like uh, glasses. And when you put the glasses on, they've got like a small camera that's measuring the movement of the eye. And so when the eye is moving, it might be moving all over the place. That will be an indication that you're not that good at making decisions. If the eye moves and and locks in on a pattern, then you could say that person is good at decision-making. When we look at the playback of the data that we're collecting, the longer a person looks at or fixates on a certain item or, or object, then this circle gets bigger. So that shows our, our better uh, person, the, the, the decision is correct, if you like. If we compare a poor decision maker to a good decision maker, the better decision maker will take in more options but lock in more quickly on what they have to do 
whereas the the decision maker that's not so good will spend more time just looking around, almost plodding around what they're looking at and then making the decision. Whilst they might, may both make the same decision, your better decision maker does it quicker and takes in a lot more options. So that can we train that? We think you can train that. How do you do that? By replicating in the environment that they're going to be playing in. And what kind of um, constraints might that have on it? Because obviously, it sounds it sounds obvious, right? You play the sport, you get better at the sport. Like yeah, we we can mm. we can get that far. The technology is advanced and science has advanced that far. But when you're looking at, at really targeting this, how do you then use constraints around practice to make sure that the cues are sufficient or under enough pressure or under enough time? How how do you then put demands on that player to really push them? to the, uh, the edge of their decision-making and visual capabilities? Well, we bring in different technology now. Well, we do in Australian football, and I know they certainly do with, uh, well, I'll call it soccer. So for the football, uh, you know, lovers out there, uh, my apologies, uh, an Aussie view, we call it soccer. So when we, we use GPS, so the GPS now it shows me the patterns of movement of players. So now we, we combine the patterns of movement with GPS data with this other data we've got of visual cues, then we can set up how patterns are moving. You can then start to train those. So when you look at your team and you can see if we move our player to X, Y, Z, and then we're more likely to get possession and get a goal, you start training the pattern of X, Y, Z. You can then look at your opposition players and say, when we do X, Y, Z, if they reply with movement A, B, C, the only way we can fix that is by having option X1. And so we start teaching patterns of play and teaching our athlete, if you look at this, this is what you do. If that happens, this is what you do, the consequence. So you start teaching patterns and the patterns, they start to recognise what those patterns are and they can see those patterns. And then as they get better at that, they see those patterns in quicker and quicker time. The faster they can see the patterns emerging, the more effective they're going to be. And are there any ways to accelerate that learning process? So uh, you mentioned technology earlier and GPS, obviously, but um, how do we then take someone who might be, let's say, a 16-year-old who's fairly average, um, and in two years' time, we want to get them to the best possible level and really work on this. Are there any ways to accelerate that learning process? I'll keep putting them in the environment that you want and keep increasing the pace at which you want them to make that decision and increasing the number of distractions or, or false clues that are in there that they've got to make a choice from. Uh, so a simple thing that uh, we've been mucking around with is just simple lights. So you might ask your athlete, you have to hit a light, but you're only hit the blue light, but they're going to be distracted by a red light and a green light. And so they've got to hit them as quickly as they can, and they're changing all over the place. They do get better at doing that. But Again, it's so new, this sort of technology, and it's exciting. But I think it's it's going to be the same thing, that if I can go out in Australia and find a young, a young uh, boy, say, that's got the ability of Usain Bolt as a 14, 15-year-old, I would then extrapolate he's going to be a better athlete when he's 21, 23, 25. The same, too, with your visual search. I think that you've got young athletes out there that are better at visual search at a younger age and they will be better when they're 23, 25, 28. So, yes, whilst you can improve speed in a young boy, 
that's a 15-year-old that wants to be Usain Bolt doesn't mean that's going to happen. You can improve it, but can you take them to an elite level? I don't know yet, but my instinct is that, no, you can't. But if you can identify that elite talented athlete for visual search at a young age, then you're going to be. And in essence, that's what we've been trying to do. So for the listeners to this podcast that don't really know much about Australian football, it's a national game. It's an it's in Indigenous game to this country. It's very popular in the southern and western states, but not in the two most popular states of New South Wales or Queensland. So I'm in Sydney and we've set up a brand new club here in this state, yet it's not the most popular sport in this state. We're trying to identify talent amongst people in what we call Australian Football League, AFL. There's people here in this state that don't even know how to spell AFL. And I'm trying to find talent amongst those kids. So we're going into, say, schools or sports workshops and and testing kids. I can test them for speed and agility, uh, for jump, for endurance and all those parameters. That's fantastic. But that applies to all these other sports. However, now I can go in there and I can identify potentially a young boy or girl that's 13, 14, 15 years of age that's got the visual search patterns of our elite players because I've got all the data from our elite players down. Now I can go in and, yes, while they might have speed and everything that's got potential to improve, I can see straight away this person's got the search patterns. And we're looking at sports that are similar uh, with visual search, and that might be a sport like, say, basketball. And we, we would refer to those as invasion sports where, you know, your opponent's invading your space. So there's a lot of uh, a crossover here for other sports. So this has got a lot of um, um, clout, I would think, with, any invasion sport, be that basketball, uh, netball, um, uh, American football, those types of sports, obviously rugby league, rugby union. And when you when you go into schools, what kind of tests are you then uh, providing? So obviously the physical stuff is, is a given, but when it comes to that visual and decision-making, how do you then start to test those aspects? Yeah, the, the simple one that we've been using is a, it's like a video recording of a, of a game that's going on and they get just the same... Uh, type of instruction have a look at the ball there uh, i'm going to let you watch this and you're you're in on the, in this team here and when the ball comes into your area i'm going to freeze it and you're going to get four seconds to make your decision bang they then watch it and then it stops and it goes four three two one okay what would your decision be and then they'll go oh here i'm not really that worried because whilst they've been looking at the computer screen, I've been measuring their eye movements. They've got these little glasses on. I've been measuring the, how their eyes are moving. I can see the parameter of the of the screen that they've looked at, and I can see what they're what we call fixated on, what they focused on for the longer periods of time. And I'll get all these patterns on the screen, and then we just look at that and we work through. As it becomes as simple to see as this. A uh, young girl runs 12.1 for the um, 100 metres. This girl runs 14 seconds. Well, we know this one's better, so let's target on that one. And if it backs up with other data, like speed, endurance, everything else, then we start to narrow down our field for looking for talent. I think that's super interesting, a really, um, oh, a really mate, novel I, avenue of, of talent identification. It, it, it's a fascinating area, and I think it's something that we're going to use a lot more of. I can see the future of this. Uh, with a lot of virtual reality and virtual reality is becoming the norm now 
And I don't think it's that far off. We're, we're actually experimenting with this at the moment where instead of having a, a board with magnets on it and saying, well, you're the red magnets, you're the blue magnets, when this magnet moves here, you're going to go there, a very 2D environment. Have your player put on a pair of these goggles and all of a sudden they're on the pitch, they're on the footy ground and they're not a magnet. That's your opponent there. And we know from our GPS data and analysis, we know how they move. So that person actually moves into the position. They've got to make the decision. We can have real-time scenarios taking place, virtual reality, and they've, and they've got to make decisions under pressure, game-like simulation. That's coming, and I think that's coming very fast. Uh, we we coincidentally in, interviewed or uh, did a podcast with uh, a company providing the service, and uh, we'll link that into the show notes later. It's, it's a really interesting insight into what could come for both professional sports and for spectators as well so we'll link that one in um but mm. back, back to to the visual stuff um you you're asking athletes to see different things different um perspectives all the time as quickly as possible and train that do they need to be going to the opticians like what what if they can't see very well i mean a really really obvious question but like is that is that something that we need to consider oh look i think if they can't see very well then they're obviously at a a, uh, a disadvantage so yes it, it may be beneficial to do that but that's not going to be the limiting factor in terms of their visual search there to a point that's innate we believe that you can train that i think probably the bigger challenges to your visual search may be male versus female and again we've got to do more research in this so i'll stress that this is just my gut feel if you like that uh with the female athletes that we've been working with, uh, their visual search can be altered or appears to be altered uh, for things like menstruation. And I think that that's probably got to do with pressure behind the eye and depth perception. So it may change things like that. I would think, but I haven't got the evidence to prove this, that if a player is under fatigue and pressure is building, that may change their visual uh, perception as well if they've had a head knob and they're coming off concussion. And that leads to another point of the value for this. I believe we're on the cusp of a very unique and foolproof uh, method of assessing concussion and a player's return to play based on visual search. You would not be able to cheat this. It'll be there very clear, and we're looking at that. We've actually patented uh, that, that concept and this technology to look at uh, concussions uh, concussion and its uh, uh, ability to measure it through visual search. I think that's uh, a really interesting. Maybe for the future, we can uh, we can dive into another podcast on that because it's going to be a whole uh, a whole different field. But mm. when before before you finish up, when you're looking at those different sports, right? Because you mentioned um, invasion games generally would, would profit from this. Um, does the sport dictate how you should train it? specifically in in that scenario or are there general rules for for a lot of different sports oh i think uh it's probably the same as uh any anything when you when the children are young give them as many different scenarios as they can get uh in that environment and then just so broaden their visual search experience so for example being able to identify a cricket ball being bowled at you as opposed to a soccer ball being kicked to you or a high ball in rugby union being kicked up to you, they're very different uh, aspects of visual search and timing. So being able to give your athlete or younger athlete as many 
different variations of that the better but then as they get older i think then you start to look at you start to specifically train what it is you're trying to improve based on the sport you're playing absolutely excellent so john massive thanks for your time and wisdom today i really appreciate it um where can people find out some more information about you and the research that you've done Oh, the research, and I've got to say, the research that I, I've been the supervisor of it and the brains behind this, I've got a, a very uh, smart young lady. You've got, to, you've got to surround yourself with people who are much smarter than what you are, and I've perfected that. <laughs> and so Lael Kasson, now Dr. Lael Kasson, uh, she has done a lot of the study and she's looked at uh, really elite athletes in AFL down. Now, AFL, in my opinion is one of the most demanding sports in the world in terms of its uh, running. The athletes will run up to 20 kilometres in a game and uh, the games go for up to two hours. So it's a big demand game uh, with lots of um, impact and tackling from 360 degree and balls coming uh, over uh, the field or the pitch, if you like, is around about 170 metres long uh, by about 120 metres wide. And they do vary. Um, so we've got all the data from that. I've also got the uh, another fellow, his name is Andrew Sharp, and Andrew has done study looking at young children uh, in school up to uh, around about 15, 16 years of age. So we've then looking at developing search patterns coming up. And so the research is coming out on that. I'll send you a link to the uh, research that's been published already uh, the the uh, PhDs that both uh, Dr. Kassam and Dr. Sharp have now completed, uh, they are up for publication. And, and this was all done. Uh, the Greater Western Sydney Giants, the team that I've been working for and consulting to, uh, we did this in collaboration with Western Sydney University. And uh, there was a little bit of input also from uh, one of the researchers from La Trobe University, which is based in Melbourne, Victoria here. Um, so the key supervisors and people could look for these people as well is uh, Dr. Kylie Steele, and Kylie is at Western Sydney University. Uh, Sarah Domakanji is also at Western Sydney University. Bonnie Pang is at Western Sydney University. And last but certainly not least is Claire McMahon, who's at La Trobe University. That's where to look for that. Or if you Google my name, John Quinn, hopefully it'll take you to my website, which is quinnelitesports.com.au. I'll be sure to come back to you. I think it's a really exciting area. For myself as a coach and a scientist, I don't believe in secrets. I, I think it's really insecurities that people are worried about. Whatever information we've got, I'll share it with you and uh, let's take this to a whole new level. I think we're just scratching the surface. This is a new frontier for uh, sport and the way we coach our athletes and it's going to take sport when you're talking about sports that require decision making it's going to take it to a whole new level not only from how we identify the best of the best at a young age but how do we get more out of those athletes who are at the top of their game absolutely excellent what a way to finish john massive thanks for your time and effort it's been a pleasure and I look forward to speaking absolutely. again soon beautiful thanks a lot Tom. thank you very much buddy awesome. bye for now and that's it once again. A massive thanks to John for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. Now the Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. 
So if you've enjoyed today's podcast and you want to get some more on how you can improve your sport performance, get in the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes and you can get in there for seven days free of charge. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be great if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, a friend or an athlete. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.